Kia ora Who here would have gone to the AMP show if it was open? A few? Yep. Who has been to the AMP show in their lifetime? Yeah, most of us. I, was, I had a really lame AMP joke that I was going to get Chris to say for the drums with, but you don't need to. Because I'm not going to, I'm going to tell you a real AMP joke, a real AMP experience. Linda and I went to a number of AMPs because our kids did Highland dancing. But there was one there where they weren't dancing at, one country one that was somewhere between Nelson and Nelson Lakes National Park, in my memory, I don't remember the name of the place. We ended up at this AMP show. And you know, a real farmy one is quite different to what you see in there. Um, what I vividly remember was about, I don't know, 11 or 12 o'clock, they had a big parade, and so they're getting everything ready for the big parade, and there's, the, there's the, 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 the slim girls on their horses, you know, all lined up, ready to do this parade, and then there's, um, there's kids with the prize bull that's you know, sort of 10 times their size on a rope, and then there's these rams and somebody with a pig, and they're all lining up, and it takes a while to get everyone together. And in another part of the field, also taking part of this parade, were a series of bagpipers. Can you imagine what happened? Well, of course, you know, they start up bit by bit, get their things in tune, and then all of a sudden, the bagpipes, all ten of them start going... And, and the moment this happens, well, the horses are bolting with these kids trying to hold it back, and there's a kid being pulled by the bull across the road, and the pig and another kid are having this real wrestling match. They just all freaked, and I, we're just looking at this aghast, and I turned to a local next to me, and I said, well, I won't do it like, like that next year. And here's the punchline. Oh, no, it happens every year. <laughs> they don't make AMP shows like they used to. Um, a bit strange, it's show weekend, it was a shorter week than normal, so look, what I wanted today to do today is look at two Bible passages and tell you a story. Um, and the first Bible passage is going to be from Psalm 136, with which we'll detour a bit, and Psalm 136 is a psalm that every second line is, his faithful love endures forever. So I thought, um, and if you uh, get bored of that, then down the bottom I've put the Maori translation of that, so you could try saying that. I wondered if you'd be happy to read a little bit of this with me, um, and then partway through we'll detour a bit. So would you join me in reading this? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who alone does mighty miracles. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who made the heavens so skillfully. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who placed the earth among the waters. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who made the heavenly lights. His faithful love endures forever. The sun to rule the day. His faithful love endures forever. And the moon and stars to moon the night. His faithful love endures forever. Now, at this point, we're going to detour. What happens in the psalm next is he starts talking about how God rescues Israel and that story in there, which for them was a very live thing. So I thought I'd detour and make it a little bit more our time. So this is not Psalm 136. 
Carry on with me. Give thanks to the God who sent his son. His faithful love endures forever. Who died to set us free from sin. His faithful love endures forever. Who lives and calls us to his own. His faithful love endures forever. His spirit goes before you. His faithful love endures forever. His spirit stays behind you. His faithful love endures forever. God's spirit surrounds you. His faithful love endures forever. And then I got to thinking, well, if I can detour that, I just thought I'd give a brief opportunity. Would anyone like to contribute a line after which we would all echo, his faithful love endures forever? His faithful love endures forever. God is unchanging in these ever-changing times. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to God who gives us deer and goats to shoot. <laughs> His faithful love endures forever. <laughs> Everyone's scared now. <laughs> End the detail. Oh, well. I give thanks for Absolutely. His faithful love endures forever. Okay, we'll end the detour, and at the end of the psalm, here's how it goes. He remembered us in our weakness. His faithful love endures forever. He saved us from our enemies. His faithful love endures forever. He gives food to every living thing. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His faithful love endures forever. Now, Jewish writers tell us that there's 26 repetitions of his faithful love endures forever and that the name Yahweh in Hebrew has the numerical value of 26 which I imagine if you're Jewish tells you something. It's, there's something about completeness in it. But after each of these passages, I've got a couple of questions, and here's the first one. What do you think the psalmist wants us to know? <laughs> yes, absolutely. And in fact, um, in, uh, in uh, the year 500 and, uh, sorry, 358 AD, um, when when there was a fair bit of persecution by the Roman government against churches, there's a church father called Anastasius who holds an all-night service. And that night, the church gets surrounded by soldiers with drawn swords, and everyone is scared. And Anastasius says, let's sing Psalm 136. Every second line, his faithful love endures forever. And when the soldiers burst through the doors, they were staggered by people singing, his faithful love endures forever. And apparently Anastasius was pretty cool. He kept his place until the congregation was dispersed and then he disappeared. And actually a lot of people were killed that night. But the congregation never forgot that man sometimes is evil. But God, his faithful love endures forever. So yes, what does the psalm want us to know? And what does the psalmist want us to say? <laughs> his faithful love endures forever. Okay, that's the first Valuable passage. Well, thinking about love, I guess 
you kind of have to go to the famous one, the one that appears at all the weddings. When Princess Diana gets married, they read this. Who's been at a wedding where this has been read? I have. It's, it's sort of the classic, the classic um, passage that is read about love. Now, this is um, N.T. Wright's translation, so it may be a little bit different to yours, and I'll just read it to you. Now I'm going to show you a better way, a much better way. If I speak in human tongues or even in those of ang uh, angels, I just about said angles, even in those of angels, but do not have love, then I have become a clanging gong or else a clashing cymbal. And if I should have prophetic gifts and know all mysteries and all knowledge too, have faith to move the mountains but have no love, I'm nothing. If I give all my possessions to the poor and for pride's sake my very body but do not have love, it's useless. And this is the bit we like to read. Love's great heart. Love is kind, knows no jealousy, makes no fun. It is not puffed up, it knows no shameless ways. It doesn't force its rightful claim, doesn't rage or bear a grudge, doesn't cheer at others' harm, rejoices rather in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, loves, hopes all things, endures all things. That's a pretty good wedding reading, isn't it? Paul doesn't say, you should do this. Because if we set out to do it, well, how would we get on, do you think? If we make it a task, Paul says, if you want to know what love looks like, look at this. It gives you a measure for love without saying, I was thinking, how would this be if Paul said to us, you should, for all of these? One writer says, if we try and do th these things, we will, it will kill us. But if you receive love, then you see love and you tend to act it out. So this is love defined. This is what love looks like. We can do this as we get in touch with the author of love. Another writer says, um, you could change love, the word here, for Christ. It reads brilliantly. Because this is our image of what Christ, what love looks like found in Jesus. And so the Romans 12 thing talks about being offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, this being our proper worship, and not being conformed to the pattern of this world, but being renewed. So the question for us in a passage like this from 1 Corinthians is to say, not saying you should be this, but when you put your life against this, how are you doing at love? In COVID times, when there are differences, when we can see groups making other groups enemies, how are we doing at love? So my third question is, how are we doing? Do you reckon you're becoming more or less like this? Pause and reflect for a moment. 
But I would like to remind you. Well, oh, sorry. And are you spending time with the author of love? Yes, that could be a quiet time, but just are you spending time with the author of love? Last week I mentioned someone who said, the key of Christian life is constant dialogue with God about everything. And I'm going to go back to the second question. What does the psalmist want us to say? This is testing your memory. His faithful love endures forever. That psalm centres us in God's love. Second reading reminds us what that love is like. And now a story. This is by a priest, Robert Farrakapin. He's a priest and a writer. He's Irish, and I really do not have a good Irish accent. I'm no good at accents. I can't help but try it because that's how it's written, so please forgive me. Um, and I will note that some of the language may have dated, okay? Just because there's gender roles playing out in this story does not mean that's how all gender roles should be. Okay, have I covered myself enough? Once upon a time, long, long ago, there was Earthmaker and First Man and First Woman. They lived in a whitewashed stone cottage at the edge of a green field with a silver lake and a road leading over the hills and out beyond. First man and first woman were very much in love and very happy together. And Earthmaker was pleased with himself because it appeared that his experiment of creating male and female had been a huge success. Oh, they argued a few times a week, but never anything serious. Then one day, they had a terrible fight. And they forgot what they were fighting about and fought about who had started it. And then about what the fight was about. Finally, First Woman was fed up. You're nothing but a loudmouth braggart, she said, and stormed out of the cottage and across the greenfield and by the silver lake and over the hill and out beyond. First man sat back in his rocking chair, lit his pipe and sighed happily. Well, at last we'll have some peace and quiet around here. A woman has a terrible mouth on her. But as the sun set and turned, the silver lake rose gold and he realised he was hungry. Woman, he shouted, I want my tea. But there was no woman to make tea. Poor first man could not even boil water. So he had to be content with half a cold potato. And then as a chill came over the cottage and the first man felt lonely altogether, he sighed again, let his pipe go out and felt he needed a good night's sleep. He didn't light the fire because, truth to tell, he wasn't very good at such things. First woman did all the fire lighting, because she could start a fire in a second. The poor fellow shivered something awful when he pulled the covers over himself, and, well, he told himself she did keep the bed warm at night. He didn't sleep very well, and he woke with a terrible hunger on him. Woman, he shouted, I want me tea! Then he realised there was no woman and no tea, so he had to be satisfied with the other half of the cold potato. While he was sitting in front of the cold fireplace, puffing on a cold pipe, wrapped in a thin blanket when Earthmaker appeared. Let me see now, said Earthmaker. This is Earth, and I made ye male and female, and you're the male. Where's herself? She's gone, your reverence. Gone? Gone? Why's she gone? We had a fight. You never did. We did. 
And she left you. She did, Your Reverence. You're a pair of idiots. Yes, Your Reverence. Do you still love her? Oh, yes, Your Reverence. Something terrible. Well then, man, off your rocking chair and after her. She's long gone, Your Reverence. I'll never catch up with her. No problem. I can move as fast as thought. I'll go ahead of you and slow her down. Now, get a move on. Poor first man. His heart breaking trundled out of his chair and down the path across the green field and by the silver lake and out and beyond. Meanwhile, Earthmaker caught up with first woman. She was still furious at first man. She walked down the road at top speed, muttering to herself as she went. That woman has a temper, Earthman reflected. But that fellow would make anyone lose their temper. So to slow her down, Earthmaker said, zap, and created a forest. Didn't she cut through it like a warm knife cutting through butter? Then Earthmaker said, zap, and created the huge hill. And didn't she charge over the hill like a mountain goat? So Earthmaker created, zap, a big lake. That'll stop her, he said to himself, but it didn't stop her at all. She charged into the lake and swam across it, Australian crawl. I don't know where she learned the stroke because Australia didn't exist way back then, but she knew it. Oh, said the Earthmaker, there are problems in creating women athletes, aren't there now? <laughs> well, the poor thing is hungry, so she'll slow down to eat. Zap. And along the road appeared all sorts of fruit trees. Peach trees, plum trees, apple trees, apricot trees. No, sorry, no apple trees, because that's another story. And what did the first woman do? Well, she just picked the fruit, and as she was walking, didn't slow down a bit. Okay, said the Earthmaker. I'll have to fall back on my ultimate weapon. Strawberries. I'll create strawberries. First woman stopped cold. Ah, would you look at them, pretty bushes with the white flowers. And as she watched, didn't the flowers turn into rich red fruit? Ah, now, isn't that glorious fruit and itself shaped just like the human heart? She felt the first strawberry. Sure, and doesn't it feel like the human heart, soft and yet strong and firm? I wonder what it tastes like. Doesn't it have the sweetest taste in all the world, save for the taste of human love? Well, she sighed loudly, speaking of that subject, I suppose the idiot is chasing after me. Poor dear man, I'd better wait for him. So didn't she pick a whole apron full of strawberries and sit by the strawberry bush and wait for the first man? And finally, he came down the road, huffing and puffing and all worn out. This is called a strawberry bush, she said. And doesn't the fruit taste wonderful? And she gave a piece of fruit to first man, like the priest gives the Eucharist. Oh, said the first man. Isn't it the sweetest taste in all the world, save for the taste of human love? So they picked more strawberries and arm in arm walked home to their whitewashed cottage by the green field and the silver lake and the hill and out and beyond. And it is said that they lived happily ever after, which meant only three or four suffites a week. Now, at this point, and you can guess this is a wedding story, the priest turned to the two people married and said, I want you to remember every time from here on in when you taste strawberries that the only thing sweeter is the taste of human love. And remember that love is about catching up and waiting. 
and that true lovers know how to catch up and wait. So my fifth question for you is what are the strawberries in your life? The things that the only thing sweeter is the taste of human love. And so it's a little bit practical in this thing. Um, at the end of this message, when we sing a song, I'm going to go out there and there will be enough pieces of strawberry for everyone to have at least one, quite possibly two. <laughs> one of the questions for us in love is not to forget that there is gift and joy in our life. And it's there to be noticed and to slow us down and to help us to wait. And there's a sixth question, isn't there? Love is about catching up and waiting. In marriages and families and friendship, catching up and waiting. Being alongside. How are you doing with that? I think in the great commission of making disciples, there's catching up and waiting. Because love does not force its way. Love is patient. So that was six questions. Two Bible passages and a story. I'd like you to reflect on them. About what that might mean in your marriage, if you have one. In your family how catching up and waiting looks, what that looks like in your work with your friends in this church, in your life. But I'd also like to remind you of the second question. What does the psalmist want us to say? His faithful love endures forever. One more time. His faithful love endures forever. The Christian story is one of love. God who wraps his arms around us despite the fact that we live broken lives in a broken world. And we fight with you, God, about this. The Christian story is of a love that will not let go no matter what the cost. And of a God who does not force but is willing to wait for us. Who runs after us when we run away. This is the love we're called to. A faithful love that endures forever. God grant us that love. And lift our eyes to notice the strawberries and share them when we see them. Amen. So um, I think we've got another song, song to close with. If you can come up for that. So.